welcome to the A Soul's Journey series. And what this class is, is to go through thematic thought process of Tanya. This is part three. We gave two lectures on the first chapter. Now we're starting the second chapter. And the title of this specific lecture is When a Piece of Creator Becomes a Creation, colon, You. Okay, so what does that mean? So we'll jump right into it. Chapter one spoke about what? Chapter one, after we got through the question of a Bainini or not, we went straight into the animalistic soul. And we spoke about the two levels of the animalistic soul. The animalistic soul is a creation. It is the drive of egocentric. And its focus is always about it being the center of the universe. And thus we spoke about how ultimately all of creation has to have that property because all of creation comes through the tzimtzum. We spoke about the bet of Bereshit, the first letter, and what does it do? It kind of serves as a blockage. You can't see before creation, you can only see creation. Thus, we explain the symptom to be as a one-way mirror. For God, it's a transparent glass. For us, it's a mirror. So even when we look up to God, who is God to us? Our creator. We don't see God as God stands unto himself. It's all about me. Okay? Then, the second chapter of Tanya, he begins. And the second soul, that is truly a piece of God. What does those words mean, truly a piece of God? So it comes from a verse where it says that it is a piece of God. And the Alter Rebbe, in his Tanya, adds on a word to that verse and writes, truly. Truly a piece of God above. And he adds on the word, mamash, truly. So what isn't truly a piece of God? When you and I want to build something, we make a shopping list. And after we make a shopping list, we go shopping. And we buy the material. And then we reform the material to create what we want. So you take wood, material, and you reform it, and it becomes a table, a chair, a bookcase, or whatever you want, whatever you're looking for. So therefore, you don't say that the bookcase is a piece of the craftsman. The craftsman put himself into the bookcase, but it's not a piece of him because the material of the bookcase is not him. So when God decided to create the world, which Home Depot did he go to? Where, where did he create from? No. The Hilo is not what you think it is, which in itself is a question, but not for right now. When you say ex nihilo, something out of nothing, you're calling us something and God nothing. That's what Creation it means. Was made we're not, not going to get into that right now because I, I got to just get through the chapter and then we can talk. But that's what I just told you is not my statement. It's Kabbalah's statement. It's what Hasidus defines. Nihilo, we call God nothing because he defies all the parameters that we call as something. And thus the answer is precisely that. The material the mass of everything that exists is God. And thus Maimonides tells us 
that God knows everything, not because he knows everything, but because God knows himself. And God is everything, and everything is God. Thus, there is nothing outside of God. That God shopped, bought things, put it in his backyard, and then started building it. The very material of all of existence is God. And thus, truly, God is everything, and everything is God. And this is why Kabbalah is very much struggling to understand the existence of evil. Because if God is everything and everything is God, that means also when evil exists, God is evil and evil is God. Just like when good exists, God is good and good is God. So if you're going to say God is Moses and Moses is God in that sense that he's a piece of God, you need to say the same thing about Pharaoh, Haman, and all the other wicked people. Because there is no duality. There is no true existence. And thus the Zohar says that even Satan himself is a loyal angel of God. So God is everything and everything is God. So why did the Alter Rebbe decide in chapter 2 to introduce the godly soul as truly a piece of God? And what is the animalistic soul? Also. Also. God is everything and everything is God. Thus that last word he added on truly in Hebrew answers us. It answers to us this question. His grandson, the Tzemach Tzedek, writes that when he writes the word mamash, mamash has two antithetical concepts. The word mamash means truly. It is truly a piece of God, thus completely abstract, essence, without any description. Yet the word mamash also comes from the word to touch, to feel. Mamashut. It has a substance. Thus, we now understand what makes this piece of God different than every other piece of God. And now let's understand that. What does it truly mean that God is everything and everything is God? And then God put a one-way mirror between creator and creation. And thus, we don't see that anymore, that God is everything and everything is God. We see ourselves needing God. We see ourselves thanking God for allowing us to wake up every morning. But do we really see ourselves as a piece of God telling the bigger God, I shouldn't say bigger God, a piece of God telling God, thank you for letting me exist. Which is, which is as hard to understand as an atheist who is a piece of God telling God that God doesn't exist. So to the believer is a piece of God telling God, thank you and I believe in you. So we need to understand what this means, that this is truly a piece of God. And the answer lies in that word mamash. Because that contraction, that beta beratius is not a game. What does it do? So to understand what it does, look what happens right after the letter beratius. What happens right after the letter beratius? We have 10 times that the God tells us, the Torah tells us, and God said, and God said. Let me just get the concept out and then we'll go. And God said, and God said. What does it mean that God said? The whole creation was created in ten utterances of God. Thus we know, yesterday's lecture was about the secret of the Hebrew alphabet. The Alter Rebbe in book number two is going to talk about that. This Tanya is made up of five books. In the second book he talks about what does it mean that, that everything is from the letters, the 22 letters which represents 22 different forms of articulation, which means 22 different forms of revelations of divinity. 
So when you say, and God said, let there be light, those six letters that make up two words, Yehi Or, which is the utterance of God, is the genetics and the mass of light. Now that we understand that, we need to understand what does it mean God talks? God doesn't talk. What does that whole notion say? That's basically what the whole book, The Guide of Perplexed from the Maimonides is all about. He wants to translate all those words, there's a fancy word for it in, in English, when you use um, human, human uh, concepts on God, human terminology on God. But God doesn't talk, God doesn't have an outstretched arm, God doesn't stand, and yet you have those verses, and the feet of God stood at Mount Olives, and God took the Jewish people out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, and God said, right? None of this exists. Even the notion of emotions, different forms of emotions, God was angry, God was pleased, God was comforted. Changes doesn't apply to God. Thus, moods and descriptions doesn't apply to God. But let's talk about what we need to talk about. What does it mean that God spoke and God said? In this chapter, Tanya, we're going to understand what it means. Because we're going to understand that the Jewish soul was not from and God spoke. So when it comes to all creations, God said, what does say mean? What's the difference? Again, we spoke about it in last night's class, the difference between speech and thought. Thought is unto me. Speech is unto others. If I was the only person in the universe, I would not have to ever speak. I would just think. That means think is within and speaking is without. Now, when God said, the verse is, and God said, what does it mean God said? Why didn't it say, and God thought? And the answer is that what we're being taught here is the process of the contraction creates an outside paradigm and thus God is speaking. God is giving in a form of giving out of himself, even though there is no out of himself. Thus, we now understand the very notion that God is speaking does not mean that God is speaking the way you and I know speaking, but we can lean on the human difference of thought and speech and thus we can understand what it means when we talk about God and God spoke. So anything that is a creation which was brought about through the speech of God, which means that there is that one-way mirror of Tzimtzum and God's talking from his side of the glass window, transparency, but he's talking into the realm of paradigm outside which now sees a one-way mirror, that's why we're using the word speech. If there is that dualship where you have God on the this side, which we consider the inside of God, and then we have God talking to us post-Beth of Bereshit, of Genesis, post the symptom contraction, which makes an outside, thus you now cannot use that word, truly a piece of God, mamash. Because the mamash, the antithesis of mamash means that pre-symptom one-way mirror, post-symptom one-way mirror, it's both the same. So the bare, the very mere terminology, and God spoke, means that there is the speaker inside, and there is the audience, which God created that paradigm of outside. Thus, even though God is everything and everything is God, you cannot say on all of creation that was brought about through speech, truly a piece of God, mamash, mamash meaning, 
as it truly is essentially, so it is when it becomes a substance, that three-dimensional substance of the outside. Thus, the animalistic soul in every creation that was created through and God said is not, quote, truly a piece of God. That is why you have the unique terminology only about that godly soul. Only about the godly soul do we say a piece of creator becomes creation. That is why the Alter Rebbe in Tanya begins with pointing out while everything else was and God said when it came to blowing the soul, the godly soul into Adam, it doesn't say and God said and he breathed, he blew within to the nostrils. Why well, didn't say and God said let there be a soul within man. Okay? I want to just throw out some stuff that you're not going to see in chapter 2 of Tanya, but my teachers are kind enough to share with me, and I'll share it with you. It also says in the Orachayim, he asked the question, what do you mean? And Adam before, if you simply read the verse, it seems that Adam was a lifeless body made out of the earth until God blew the soul. The Orachayim doesn't say that. He says that just like all the other animals were created living, so too the human was created living. He had the animalistic soul of chapter 1. Thus, we now know that the godly soul, the soul that it said and he breathed into his nostrils, was not the difference between life and death. It was difference between knowledge or not knowledge. The Orachim refers to it as the intellectual soul. And that is why Adam had a perception that no other creature had. And thus, immediately, the first thing God, Adam says when he receives that soul of knowledge, he says, let us all prostrate ourselves before our creator. That is an acknowledgement which animals and all other creatures didn't have. But that soul wasn't spoken. That soul was breathed. Now, I don't know if any of you ever took a lung test. I've taken a lung test. How do you take a lung test? You have to stand and you have to breathe in. You had a doctor, you know, do you remember what the first thing the doctor told you after you took your test? First thing the doctor told me was, be seated, you're going to be lightheaded. So we can talk for hours and there's air coming out of our mouth when we talk. You don't get lightheaded. But when you breathe heavily, <gasps> you do that a couple of times, be careful, you're going to get lightheaded. Why? It comes from the words in the Zohar that Dalta Rebbe quotes. Man de nafach, he who blows, breathes hard, mitochiyuto, from his very inner essence, blows. So unlike speech, which is external air, which comes from the external layer of the heart. Heart blowing, breathing, comes from the inner layer. Thus, we now know that the soul comes from the inner dimension of God, not from the external expression revelations of God. And then you go to the next state, where he quotes another verse that says that God refers to this soul as his son, my firstborn son. And thus, we now use the analogy of the difference between a parent and a child versus a teacher and a student. A teacher and a student are two different things. Literally, the example I gave to you before. You want to build a bookcase, you're going to go to Home Depot, and you're going to buy, and then you're going to form. You want to be a teacher that has a student, you're going to go find a student, 
And on a spiritual and intellectual and emotional dimension, you're going to reform the material that was born to you, that brought to you. And thus, when it comes to having a student, there's a famous Yiddish proverb that when a student just doesn't have the intellectual capacity, the teacher says, a cup a head I can't place on your shoulders. Bring me a head and I'll form it. But I can't give you a head. If you don't have the intellectual, if you just not, you don't have it, I can't. And thus the sages tell us that someone who sees his student after five years has no zero success in studying Mishnah, let him go. He wasn't meant to be that type. He should, he'll learn how to pray, he'll learn how to keep the customs, and he'll go on and become a, a doctor or a lawyer, not a rabbi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, what happens? A father-child relationship, parent-child relationship, is exactly the opposite of a teacher. A father cannot tell a son, I can't give you a brain. What, that's exactly what the father did. Through the genetic ladder, through the DNA ladder that travels down from the depths of the father's and mother's being. It's so deep within the father and mother's being that two blind parents can have a seeing child. How do you give what you don't have? And the answer is that within the essence, there is no such thing as a blind person. In the expression, just to give you a physical example, there's a huge difference if you have a problem with your retina, with your optic nerve, or on a stroke level within your brain. So too, go even deeper. Even if you have all of the above, from the spiritual dynamic of the human being, the power of sight is never lost. Now you know how deep what the father gives to the child, the mother, the parent gives to the child. When you say, a head I can't place upon your shoulders, that's between a teacher and a student. Absolutely not between a parent and a child. Because a parent gives a child even that which he himself could not actualize, but lies within his potency. And thus when the sages say, Yofa koyach ben av, nicer is the capacity of the child then the capacity of the father. So in Hebrew, it doesn't say then, it says from, me. You should know that even that which a child has, which is greater than the father, comes from the father, i.e. the seeing child of the blind parents. And that is all why? Because what the parent gives to the child is not like what a teacher gives to the student. The teacher cannot give the student what he or she does not understand on a revealed level, understand it. The parent can absolutely give the child that which on all levels of revelation does not have, whether it be the retina, the optic nerve, or even a stroke, which affects the very brain cells that control eyesight. That real estate of the brain was affected. And nevertheless, the father can give it to the child, the mother can give it to the child. Thus, what do we see here? God does not use the words, I am the father of trees. I am the father of animals. I am the father of the sun and the moon. When in essence, everything comes from God. God didn't find the sun and say, here, let me teach you how to, how to orbit. 
So on a certain level, once again, you would say, well, one second, everything is the offspring of God. And the answer is no. That which was spoken by God is not the offspring of God. Because it went through that transformation in which God pulled out essence, gave out revelation, and thus God spoke external. I'm on this side of the one-way mirror, and I'm talking to you on the other side of the mirror. Thus, you cannot say no more, truly so. However, the godly soul is literally a piece. I want to put this in, in, in really clear dynamic. Most of the artists throughout history were tortured souls. Whether it be in writing, in music, most of them were tortured souls. Why were they tortured souls? They were tortured souls because I've shared with my, my daughter is a great artist. I shared with her, an artist isn't just in the hand, it's in the eye. The artist sees differently. What the artist is trying to do is show you what he or she sees. The writer, the music. When we marvel, when we marvel at a Rembrandt, and we know that he was a very frustrated human being. Why? Because what we marvel at, he was disgusted with. Why? Because he tried to do the impossible. He, he tried to transmit essence. He was trying to take a piece of his heart, a piece of his brain, and put it on the canvas. You can't. Other than reproduction, you can't do that. Everything else is in the world of expression. The minute you've gone to expression, you've re removed essence. Because the very word expression means that I'm going to give you a definition of form or shape. Essence defies any of that. Thus, the artist was completely frustrated. You may think that this is awesome, but this is dust compared to what I was really feeling and seeing and experiencing and being that I tried to put onto this canvas. I tried to put into these words. I tried to put into this music. What artists couldn't do is what God did with the soul. And thus we're not saying this is an utterance of God. We're saying this is a piece of God. But this leads us to a problem. It doesn't have to be a piece of creator became creation. We could have just said a piece of creator. By the way, in most teachings, when you talk about the essence of the soul, you don't say a piece of creator that became a creation. That's not what Dalt Rebbe said here. He didn't say that became a creation. His grandson says that within the word mamash, he hinted the two antithetical parts where as creator and as creation, touchable, they're both the same. They're one and the same. However, that would lead us to a great problem. Why? Because if we say a piece of God, not an expression of God, we're talking about essence. We're not talking about any complexity. Essence will never have complexity. Essence must be simplicity. The minute you have complexity, you're not talking about essence. Thus, the Baal Shem Tov says, the essence, when you grab a piece, you grab all of it. Not so when I grab you. I grabbed your hand. 
I grabbed your foot. In wrestling, it makes a big difference how I'm grabbing you, right? That's because you're complex. But if you grab that one, one cell, what's it called, amoeba? You grab that one, whatever. You grab that one cell, I mean, you grabbed it. Even that cell is not really truly, it has a nucleus, whatever. But if it would be possible to really be able to see and touch essence, then you realize that essence, the minute you touch a piece of it, you touch all of it. Because there is no complexity. If there is no complexity, every piece of essence is the entire essence. Thus, there's an issue here. Why do we have complexity within souls? Why wouldn't we say every single human throughout all of history, throughout this generation, within the individual human being itself, is all one and the same? And by the way, in chapter 32, the Alter Rebbe kicks into that. The Alter Rebbe says, but he uses a very interesting terminology, as identical twins to one parent. So too, the only reason that I and you wouldn't get along is because I see that I've ended and you begin. By the mere fact, anything that is you is not me. Thus, there's going to be a struggle. But if I see you as a godly soul, and I am a godly soul, and thus both of us are identical, your existence doesn't take away from mine, and my existence doesn't take away from yours. For ultimately, we are both one. That's what he says in chapter 32. But the way we're learning now, the bottom line is we all know that there's the soul of a tzaddik. And there's the soul of a simpleton. And there's a soul of a sinner. And there's a soul of a bainini. Different levels of souls. We talk about different levels of souls. Thus the question is, how can be the levels? If we just said it's a piece of creator, and the teaching of Shem Tov is that by creator we mean essence. And if we're talking about essence, when you touch a piece of essence, you've touched entire essence, how can there be different levels of souls? And this is not things that you and I labeled. Before Rosh Hashanah, when we read when we read the Torah portion called Nitzavim, it literally lists, you are all standing here together as one. That's the generalism. We're all one. And then it goes on to list 10 different levels. From the heads of tribes to the water carriers and wood choppers. Now you realize in the Torah, it's not just speaking physically, it's speaking spiritually. Thus there is a soul which is called a wood chopper. And there is a soul which is called a head. Thus, we need to understand, how can that be? Thus, it's not a piece of creator that remains creator. There's a very interesting terminology here, which says, a piece of creator becomes creation. Once again, the antithesis within the soul. On one hand, it's the mamash, truly, essence. On the other hand, it needs to be able to manifest itself within mamash, substance. And thus the soul manifests itself through different levels. And thus not all souls are identical. Because the minute it becomes nasa nivra, it becomes creation, then we're going to be talking about different manifestations. Before we get into those different manifestations and what makes one different than the other, we need to stop for a moment and just go back to understand we are the different levels. So you should know. It says that Adam's soul was a plural soul. Within Adam were the souls of every single individual that would live throughout all of time. Then we're taught that the face of Jacob was like the face of Adam. 
because Jacob was in the next dimension of once again doing exactly what Adam did. Within his soul was every single soul. When we talk about a Rebbe, a Rebbe is referred to as a Nasi. There's a great Kabbalistic book that says the word Nasi, which means a prince, is an acronym. The word Nasi is Nitzutz Shel Yaakov Avinu. So while Jacob had all the Rebbe souls within him, so he encompassed every single soul, every single Rebbe of his generation was a spark of Yaakov because he was the general soul of his generation. Thus you have Adam, you have Jacob, and then in every single generation you have a spark of Jacob, more often called the Moses of that generation. But there is the Kabbalah book which talks about it as the spark of Jacob. Now, when you understand this, think of it almost as time. Rosh Hashanah carries within it 364, whatever it is. I mean, it's a different year. It's the, it's the English year. So it's the, it's the Jewish calendar, which is the lunar orbit. So it's not 360 unless it's a, it's, it's a, uh, unless it's a leap year. It's more than 360. Normally you say 354, right? And I have, that's the orbit. So you have Rosh Hashanah, which includes within it all the 12 or 13 Rosh Chodesh. Each Rosh Chodesh includes within it the four or five Shabbatot. Each Shabbat includes within it the six, seven days of the week. If it concludes Shabbat or not, right? That's how time works. The same thing with the souls, so to speak. Thus we have within a general soul called Neshama Klalit, has all the sparks of Neshama Pratit. We'll talk about that in the next uh, lecture. We talk about that connection. But you now understand when a Rebbe, when a Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to you, he doesn't speak to you from his wisdom of himself. Rather, he's focusing specifically on the piece of you within him. Think about it as the brain. The brain, when it talks to the leg, it's not the same as when it talks to the optic nerve. And that's why the eye sees and the feet walks. How does the brain, who's so intellectual, so abstract, connect with the leg? And the answer is because there's real estate within the gray mass that is dedicated to the foot. Thus, when the brain talks to the foot, it talks from that real estate within the gray mass through those specific nerve system to that specific organ. That's on the historical way from Adam to us. That is so on every generation. The Nitzitz of Yaakov Avinu. The, the uh, Moses um, dynasty. But then within each and every soul, there's the same. So I want to just explain to you again. Let's just make it practical. Yom Kippur is special. Yom Kippur, you try not to gossip. You try not to look where you're not supposed to. You try not to think what you're not supposed to. You try not to say what you're not supposed to. Why? Not because just you're afraid of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, but because what's shining, the energy that's shining on that Yom Kippur day is connecting to a very depth level of your soul. So when we say in the, in the Torah that Yom Kippur is achat bashana, once a year, Kabbalistically and Hasidic define the oneness of all time that talks to that place within your soul which is the oneness of your soul. 
right? Great experience. Shabbat, beautiful day. You feel a little different Shabbat. The Talmud says that if you ask a certain Jew, a simple Jew that you don't always trust, is this kosher? They say yes. On Shabbat, you can trust him. Because Shabbat, even the simpletons won't lie. Saturday night, there's leftovers. And you ask him, that's the leftovers of that, right? You can't trust him. Because Shabbat, there's a different energy in the world. And thus, the soul is touched. And that's the energy you're living off. And then there's the weekdays. So the big question is, one second. If Yom Kippur is the highest energy, why not have Yom Kippur 354 days a year? To understand that answer, you go to the Mount Sinai scene. Because when God spoke to all the Jews, they were dying right, left, and center. They went running to Moses and said, hey, 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 God will talk to you and you'll talk to us. If we had to keep Yom Kippur, consciousness, I'm not talking about the fasting now, just the consciousness of God's presence and looking into every thought and word and action that you're doing. If you and I would have to do that for more than 24, 36 hours, we would have a meltdown. We know people have that. When they get so like, oh my God, God's watching and I, did I do it right? And did they show up yet? They have meltdowns. They go crazy. Cuckoo. You should know that a Rebbe has exactly that consciousness of God's presence looking into his mind and heart and actions 24 7, 354. For us, that would be. The essence core of the Nishama is living and vibrating and expressing itself on Yom Kippur. But we could not live on that level. Thus, we have to go away from Yom Kippur to a Shabbat. A little easier. So yes, on Shabbat, you're not allowed to talk about working. And you're not allowed to work. And on Shabbat, you're not allowed to even do, say things which are mundane. And there are things that you're clearly allowed to do on Shabbat, but you're not allowed to do it on Shabbat only because they are Ovdin Dechoyl, translated in Yiddish, not Shabbos. Many people are not aware of this. Rabbi, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to go crazy. Can I leave the TV on from before Shabbat? I won't change the channel and I'll watch TV on Shabbat. Looking is not a sin. I didn't do no work. A lot of people are not aware. You're right. You didn't do one of the 39 works. But there was a trigger there that you're doing something that's not Shabbistic. It's just not Shabbistic. Now, I, I'm not ruling here. There are many rabbis, some people start their journey of Shabbat and they tell them, listen, you know what? Keep the, keep the thing on and don't go driving to the mall. I, I'm, I'm not here to give rules right now. I'm not talking halacha. But I'm just sharing with you that Shabbat is a different energy. You shouldn't be doing things that are not Shabbistic. Now imagine... You went now to the Caribbean islands and you, your whole goal of having a vacation for 10 days is to have a 10-day Shabbat. Sounds beautiful, right? It's amazing how many, how many of us come back from that and we need a vacation. That was just too much Shabbat. I'm Shabbated out. Right? Because we can't, we can't function. Thus we're taught that the soul within the individual has what we would call the Yom Kippur, what has the Shabbat, Chodesh, has the Shabbat, has the weekday. Thus we have within every soul different levels. Why do we have different levels? Because even though the core essence of the soul 
is a piece of God truly. You'll have some teachings that say even that divides. Not for tonight. But we're going to just say that the core essence of your soul is truly a piece of, but when you travel down from that, to be able to function as a human being who's not a Kohen Gadol who spends his time in the Holy of Holies, who's not a Rebbe, who we say that the Rebbe's office, we refer to it as Ganeden Ha'elion. It's a different paradigm. When the Rebbe's in his office and he's doing his studying Torah, he is a Kohen Gadol in the High Priest in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. I don't want to be that. I will have exactly what the 600,000 Jews at Mount Sinai had. Thus, Rebbe, why don't you be Rebbe and speak to me every Shabbat? Because there's different levels, 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 levels. And now we need to understand why is there different levels? So those of you who come from New York, you'll know that in the New York subway, you have the express train and you have the local train. The difference is what? About an hour? Let's talk about it on a spiritual level. The express train goes from Atlantic to Franklin to Utica, and you get out. The local train goes from Atlantic to North to there to there to there. I would like you to just picture that every time that train doors open up, the energy of that station affects you. <coughs> now let's think how it works. You have, you start off your journey in the peace of God. As you come down here, there's different stations. Primarily those different stations are the four worlds we spoke about yesterday. The word atzilut means came forth. It's not, it's not an ex nihilo. It is a piece of divinity. We're going to refer to that right now as the essence. Then the next stop is, what does the verse say we quoted last night in the class? And the water irrigated the garden, and we shom yiporeid. There it's separated. So if this atzilus is still the way God's thinking within himself, the next stop is past the one-way mirror, called the world of creation. And that's where we have the ex nihilo. All of a sudden, it doesn't just see God as everything and everything is God. It sees that there's an X and there's a Nihilo. And X is here thanks to the Nihilo. If the Nihilo ever stops sustaining X, X is bye-bye. But it sees itself as an X and a Nihilo, as something and a nothing, right? Now, what happens? That first world is world of Bria. If you remember, I mentioned to you last night, what is the beauty of the world of Bria? It is mass. It's a something. It's an X, but it's not fermented. Think about it as the human child. The human child is not yet set in their ways. Many of us, when we first start dating in our older years, we're very hard to be dealt with. I've been putting my shoes on this side of the bed for the last four decades, and now, sweetheart, you want me to change that. That's the difference between simple, flexible, putty mass versus formed. I'm firm in my ways. Thus, from the world of creation, ex nihilo, simple putty mass, we now have Yitzira, which is formation. Then we go to the three-dimensional level, which is already etched out in stone, and that's the world of action, Asiya. The soul is the same way. 
the more it is transparent, the more it isn't a form. It isn't three-dimensional. It isn't even formed. It isn't even a mass. It just is the reflection of I am you and you are I, God. That's the world of Atzilut. The vessels aren't even called vessels there. They're so united and, and, and transparent to the light. When we get into the next level called creation, now all of a sudden the vessels are saying, hey, I, you know, you ever see a baby start finding his fingers? Oh, my, oh so what do you mean? There's not just a light here. There's me. Hello, camera, focus here. So what happens then? All of a sudden the soul, the doors open up in a station called Bria, and there's a level of the soul which now transformed. It's no more still the way it was in Atzilut. The next station opens up, and what happens there? Now, all of a sudden, it's being taken by Yetzirah. More separated, more opaque, less transparent, until the world of Asiya. Now, when we talk about souls of different people, we talk about how certain souls, you'll just notice, certain souls are not narcissistic, they're not egocentric. They're not loud and boisterous and obnoxious. They're more the quiet, timid one. Obviously, this person took a different express train than my local train. You don't find me being timid. You don't find me being, oh, whatever. No, no, okay. No food today? No food today. Oh, we're just going to have this? No problem. You push my buttons and you're going to get a reaction. Why? Because I took the local train. So within different souls, you're going to have different experiences of transparency just because some went zoop straight down. Some went touring along the way and it affected them. Within the individual soul, it's the same thing. Within the individual soul, there's a spark, an essence within every single Jew that the way you stood before God in the world of Atzilut, that is the way you're standing before God right now and right here. That is that yesterday's class, that spirit of folly, the Atzei Shittim, the Shtutikdusha. I don't serve God just on a logical level. There's a crazy insanity part of me because it sees nothing else but God. Thus, I'm willing to walk away from everything for God. There's a piece of me that will do that. And then there's the lower levels. Just to wrap it up for today. The example he gives is specifically the DNA that according to Kabbalah travels down from the brain through the spine through the reproductive organ. Now, if that be the case, then how can this DNA that came from the sperm create the feet and everything? It should have just created a brain. It came from the brain. It should have created a brain. And then the brain itself should have have to gone through evolution or whatever. Some of Darwin theory there. Why didn't it go that? And the answer is because the mother in pregnancy, nine months, is exactly that train. Thus, there's the piece of the child, which is that piece of the father that took the express train. It came from the brain and it became a brain. Then there's the other parts, which during, now we know with pictures and all, exactly how the brain, the stem, the heartbeat, until you even have the little cute nails that you see in those uh, scans. That development of getting lower and lower and lower and more and more distant 
from the original DNA form is exactly how we use that terminology for the soul. Okay? This is what Alter Rebbe says in Tanya. First part of chapter 2. I want to share with you something new that came to me. And, 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 you know, I'd love to really be able to think it through. I haven't yet. This is a raw thought. Um, how it works in Tanya. I'm going to explain just quickly. Because there is a teaching of the Rebbe I can lean upon to explain myself. So it's not mine. Today we know scientifically that the DNA of every single cell is identical. What's really changing is just the folds. Thus, which part of the DNA ladder is on top is being read by the reader and thus reproducing. And thus a kidney cell won't produce an eyeball cell, different brain cell, whatever it is, right? But were you to be able to open up the cell and lay out the entire DNA of the cell, you will see that every single cell is exactly identical. There is a teaching of the Rebbe in, in the last teaching that before his stroke that he edited and gave out. He talks about two levels of essence. One is that the essence is up here and the essence shines down into everything. Right? So if you're going to say this is the essence, and then from the essence comes everything. Five different types of fingers. Right? The Rebbe says it's a different level. Not the way the essence is the parent from which the child comes, but the essence is the essence of the child. Thus, if you want to take a deeper look, it's not that there is the essence of the soul, which is truly a piece of God, and then step away from that, there's different levels. There is the way the essence expresses itself in your most distant expression of the essence. Because it's not an essence which from which comes pieces, it's actually the essence of each piece. Thus, now we can appreciate the godly soul that even when a person has gone so far and all of a sudden something triggers because it's the essence, not just the essence which shines down. There's the essence of every piece of your soul, which is the essence. Thus, when you say creator, that became creation, it flows through every single one of our cells, every level of our soul, even the me that can think of sinning. Sure. Thus, it's truly connected to that truly a piece of God, but that's not without the Rebbe says in this time This is my own little thought process. It's, it's not a derivative. No, no derivative this means that it and from. No, this is in here. Just like the entire DNA is within each cell, even though each cell reads it differently because of the folds. But that, again, that's, that's not what Dr. Rebbe says in Tanya, Dr. Rebbe saying in Tanya, that the essence of the soul is truly a piece of God above, and then there's the process of the local train, the express train, the different stages of pregnancy, which everything goes, and as, as it gets more transformed, it's obviously becoming more distant than the simplicity of the essence. Thank you. Right, we can continue. I'm just going to close up here.